Welcome to The Riff. This is your host, Ian Foster. And I wanted to have an introductory episode to give you an idea of where we're going with this. Ten years ago, I had the opportunity to go up to Alaska, but the real story behind that is three years before that, so we're talking 13, 14 years ago, I was looking for an opportunity to get up to Alaska at some point. I knew at some point in my life I wanted to get there, and I wanted to live there, I wanted to experience it. And, um, and so finally, a deal came across my desk. It was the deal. I knew it, and I shaped my whole life to, to make it happen. Um, in the space of a week and a half, I packed up a house and put stuff in storage and got a property manager and got carpal tunnel surgery on my wrist that had been uh, incapacitated working at an underground mine. And I took a scuba certification course and I think I even went to the dentist because I still had health care at that time and I wanted to prep for all the eventualities. And I got on a plane. I, I landed in Nome, Alaska, which is a town of 3,500 people. And I went straight from the airport to West Beach, and I lived in a tent for that whole summer. And I lived an incredible lifestyle that I don't know if many people in the, you know, in America will have the opportunity to live. And I look back on that time, and it's like a, a whole other world. Um, you know, we fell asleep, listened to the waves crash, and I got up and I went, and the job that I accepted up in Alaska was to dive for gold in the Bering Sea. It was a small operation. It's called suction dredging. And the idea was that we would get footage of it and maybe sell it to a network or something. And, and looking back, it's just a crazy idea. But we were, you know, I've always been a home run hitter. So like my little swing for the fences. And I've also struck out quite a bit too. Well, we, that, that mining operation, though, had a lot of problems. And so what I ended up doing is uh, I got a job with the state of Alaska just to pay the bills. And, and that was in child protective services work. And there are jobs that you can kind of get by when you need a job. And there are jobs that you have to either fully invest or not get involved in all. And very quickly, when you do child protective services work, especially in rural Alaska, you have to be fully engaged. You have to be in completely present. And so that's what it required. So very quickly, I got involved in the politics of, you know, fed, state, tribal uh, issues. And, um, and I got involved in, in, a, in an issue that's started a long time before I was born. And it's going to be going on a long time after I'm gone. There's an incredibly dynamic uh, situation happening in rural Alaska with a very ancient culture meeting a modern culture. And um, so I, I had an, a lot of incredible experiences with that. I, I saw some of the best and some of the worst of humanity um, in a dynamic that is, is difficult to describe, um, except my therapist. And then um, at some point, I, towards 2011, I guess, I pitched a, you know, I took that footage, edited a, a, a sizzle reel, pitched it to Discovery, a week later, I got a call. A week after that, I was uh, put in front of a camera for initial casting. And then about a month after that, I quit state employment and immediately went into work as a gold diving captain in front of a camera on a reality show, which would become Bering Sea Gold on Discovery. And that was a whole other can of worms. It was a whole other dynamic that was stressful and mucky and crazy, uh, but, in a, in a, but interfacing with the modern world instead of the ancient world. It was pretty intense, but I met a lot of really dynamic people there. 
um, who some of them are going to become uh, guests on the podcast. Because a lot of times we, and, and I've seen this, like I don't particularly like the show and I don't, you know, I don't think it's the greatest thing I've ever done. But when my friends introduce me, they always introduce me as the guy was, that was on the show. So it's really interesting, this dynamic that we have in, in our culture about celebrity. And we'll get into that in the podcast. Uh, I only went for a season or two. And then I got, I just did mining just for the love and the money. So I would dive in the ocean and get gold and I would take it down to the gold buyer and then I would buy groceries with it. So um, there's a really interesting dynamic that uh, a lot of times in our modern society, as we're becoming more and more centralized in cities, we have a disconnect with the actual land and also the way that wealth is created and the resources of the land. And so it was a really interesting dynamic there. I also leveled houses which you probably don't know, but in rural Alaska, when you get into uh, the permafrost area of Alaska, houses are built on stilts. There's big blocks, and then you have a foundation on top of those blocks. And the whole point is that the land, the, the ground bucks and shifts. And so you have to be able to level the house, which goes into climate change. And a lot of th things that we don't take, we take for granted down in lower 48, we're experiencing that firsthand in an exacerbated way just because we're closer to the poles. Eventually, I circled back into people work. I worked for the tribes. Now I did foster parent recruiting, and I, I would, on average, I would fly out to the villages about once a week, and I'd help family members um, who are actively engaged in bringing their kids, their their cousins, their nieces, their nephews, their their tribal members or their family members back to the villages who had been uh, taken into state's custody uh, based on some you know safety threats in the home, and so it was. It was, it was kind of the full circle as far as my social work story, um, being a part of the solution instead of what in some cases felt like, you know, I was just, uh, you know, part of the problem. Overall, Alaska shaped how I view the world, how I feel about it. And I met some incredible people along, along the way that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Our first few episodes, my first few episodes are going to be... Um, with Alaska-based people, with Nome-based people that are actively engaged in community causes and events and um, our leaders in the community and interesting people to talk to. Um, some are pretty formal, some are pretty informal, um, but overall I wanted to give access to a voice and a paradigm to a larger audience that a lot of people are never going to have access to. <clears throat> I have uh, followers from around the world, so I'm really... Uh, Looking forward to the opportunity connecting such a, a small niche demographic, which is uh, Nome, Alaska, and the people that move to Nome, Alaska and get involved in Nome, Alaska with people in Brazil and people in Indonesia and, and Europe. I'm really excited about that opportunity for everybody. But also in the lower 48, there's a lot of decisions that are being made in Washington, D.C. that have that are so disconnected with life actually on the ground in rural Alaska that I'm also excited to, to present some of those issues, some of the solutions that are being implemented in Nome, Alaska. Um, but I'm also all over the place. I don't just want to talk about like funerals and like serious things. Um, there's a lot of cool things happening and um, I'm currently home based out of Utah. I have a lot of interesting friends down here and we're going to be talking with artists, with entrepreneurs, with uh, movers and shakers that uh, are doing their thing and entertaining people. So that's where we're coming from. Uh, generally speaking, I'm not trying to uh, push any specific agenda. I'm curious about all of it. I come at it from a standpoint of trying to understand where people are from, 
how they got to where they are, what they believe about certain things, and what's helped them in this uh, great big experiment we're calling uh, human existence and having a pulse. <laughs> so I'm really excited that you're here. I'm excited for the opportunity we have to collectively grow and um, excited for the feedback I'm going to get. So here we are. Welcome to The Riff, Life, Love, Triumph, and Disaster. first episode, I'm going to be talking with a guy named Kevin Busk. He's an instructor at the Northwestern Alaska Career and Technical Education Center, or NACTEC, if you don't want to try for the bigger name. They bring kids in from local villages for vocational training, and they do all sorts of uh, different certifications, like heavy equipment operation, and welding, and um, careers in medical care, and things like that. Kevin is a kid whisperer. This is a teenage population he's working with. A lot of these kids have never been away from home before, so it's an incredibly difficult time for a lot of them. And um, he runs a very dynamic uh, program uh, that helps kids interface with the modern economy, with, with modern educational methods. Um, and he has really good boundaries. He's one of the most friendly people I've ever met. And uh, he also institutes boundaries in a really effective way. So as a guy that's super agreeable also, but all, does not institute boundaries very well sometimes, I pick his brain on how he became that way, what his secret is, um, and he also spends his summers mining for gold out in rural Alaska in the middle of nowhere. So Kevin's a pretty good dude. That's going to be our first episode right now. And then uh, we're going to go into some other Alaskans and branch out from there. And it's happening. Right now, as we speak. Well, almost. Hold on. Wait for it. Are, are we there going? it is. There it, it is. It's happening. It's happening. I see it. Let me uh, make sure we got decent sound quality. Decent sound quality. Sound quality. Sound uh, quality. Turn it up just a little bit. Hello. 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 Well, hello. All right, man. Doesn't sound weird to have your own voice in your own ear, you know. Well, I talk to myself constantly. I do so too. Not really. I talk to my dog. Talk to myself. Yeah. yeah. I talk to anybody who will listen, and then people <laughs> that aren't there. Sometimes I have conversations with other people as well. I, I know some people that are there. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, no, it's not. It's not weird to have my own voice yeah. in my head. I gotcha. What? Who else's voice should there be? I mean, I've actually worked with you know, mental health people. And the problem comes in not when you hear your own voice in your head, it's other people's voices that you hear in your head. That's the problem. That's interesting. I guess it's, it depends on what your voice tells yourself. I think there's a lot of people who they're their own worst enemy and biggest critic. And they just, they just can't let go. That's true. And they, you know, they tear themselves down far more than other people. And so I think, um, letting go of some of that, that voice and, and, you know, allowing yourself to be human and allowing yourself to not be perfect is really important too. Absolutely. So, so there's a balance. There's this rap group uh, called atmosphere. Oh, I love atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he says, uh, 
not a victim, cut the sympathy, figure it out, and kill the B-word in me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but for our audience, uh, it's like our inner sissy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like taking care of the inner sissy. But there's also a balance, too. Like if, if we're all like just husky men that just take no prisoners – then that's a problem. If, if that's the, the voice in our head and we have no empathy, no understanding for other people, no sympathy, you know, like us, others, you know, paradigm, if it's all like just whatever we want, then that's a problem too. Absolutely, man. It, it is the, what is it? It is the walking the middle path. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Well, that being so. said, I mean, today, in today's day and age, it seems like, some of that middle path is the road less traveled. Robert Frost talked about the road less traveled, you know, and it's made all the difference and it's made it into like so many high school graduation <laughs> speeches and stuff. But that being said, what is the road less traveled nowadays? Like, we're, sorry, we're, we're kind of going into a, a different place right off the bat, but that's okay. I want to have a general conversation. About yeah. Sorts of different things. I mean, what is the, you know, the road less traveled? Um, is the middle road, the road less traveled nowadays? Cause we talked about, that part of your voice that's like or that voice in your head that's mean to yourself and we need to avoid that voice but what about the voice in your head that is a jerk because there's that voice too mm-hmm you know I gosh working um, working with lots of uh, young adults I, I think there's just they don't realize how much power they have in their own lives um, you know, I, I kind of imagine it as a as a rudimentary boat and one a lone soul in there. They have a rudder and they have a hold of the rudder. And yes, you're gonna be tossed in ways. The wind is going to carry you. But you have a hold of that rudder and it's gonna give you some direction. And are you gonna be pushed off course? Probably. You're gonna have to correct. But I don't think that I don't think many people realize that there's a rudder in the boat and they have control over it if they choose. That that choices in many in many ways, that's our most powerful element in our lives, for our own lives and the way we make others feel as well, that we have a choice in nearly every endeavor. And I think that that's truly important. And, and in my work with students and with young people, that recognizing that there is a choice to be made and regardless of what choice you make, there are going to be consequences. Sometimes there are good consequences, sometimes there are bad consequences and sometimes those make you work even harder the next time and make the better choice the next time. And and um, so- No, I think to, that's cool to, to, folk, to remember that. Like I, I took psychology courses in college, you know, and we talked about positive and negative reinforcement. But most of the time when we talk about consequences and punishments, we talk about negative things. And we have to remember that choice and consequence is a cause and effect relationship. And there's positive and negatives for that. And a lot of time we focus on the negatives, but it's just as true for the positives too. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more empowering to focus on that part as well, to figure out, hey, if I make this choice, I get this reward. That's why being an adult is so cool. Because we go to work and we get a bunch of money and then we can eat ice cream whenever we want. We were talking about that with the or, kids the other day, right? 
or not even a bunch of money, just enough for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's sometimes it, that's the way it is. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, the yeah. older you get, you're like, yeah. oh man, I have enough for ice cream and other stuff. And my data plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is, you know, it is one of those things. And I think it is empowering. And I see these young people and, and I just, I, I love working with them. And um, I believe they, they literally, they keep me young because they keep me on my toes. And I like, I like that they come at me, to me, all it, to our program in, in all of their different fashions. Um, we accept them for who they are, where they are at the moment. Often we have no paperwork besides the application they had. And so we, we just kind of accept them for where they are and then go from there and, and try to put these good things, these good options in front of them and say, hey, do you like any of these? Okay, if you don't like any of these, that's okay too. You just learn something. You don't like these. What about these options? Let's try some of these. And some kids are, they're not ready for it. They don't want any options. Let me jump in. I'm going to do a little bit of an intro before this. Okay. Um, but then you're Kevin Busk. Yes. And you work at NACTEC. Mm -hmm. um, describe your role at NACTEC. What do you do? Um, I, I'm a teacher and my title is program coordinator, which basically means I kind of shape the program. Um, you know, I, I do all the, the staffing, um, make sure everybody's on shift, how the day is going to look as far as scheduling and things like that. And then really the staff are the ones who make the beauty of, of the program. Um, put put all of the good things into it as far as what are we going to be doing? Are we going to be doing plasma cutting, talking about job interviews, doing job applications, talking with community members, doing some sort of cultural activity. And then a lot of my, my role has gone from teaching. I still lifeguard. I still teach and teach uh, survival swimming driver's head, things like that, but which is basically stay afloat, right? Exactly. Survival <laughs> swimming, head above water, man. More, more air than water in your lungs. That's actually, yeah, isn't that, that's another metaphor for life. You know, like, <laughs> head above they water, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, like, yeah. Hey, let me put your floaties on you. <laughs> your arm floaties here. I'm, I'm going to press the brake over on my side. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so a lot of it has become, you know, more of a trans, um, a transfer from the, the direct interaction with kids, which I still do every day. Every student, I usually well, have a chitter. That's the thing. Like yeah. you talk about, I, I appreciate how you, you give so much credit to the staff and you have a great staff, but I've seen you come in when the fire's hot, like, like in the middle of the ruckus, in the middle of like the craziness and just establish order. And so you're the pinch hitter. That's like, you know, when this teach, teaching staff is like, okay, here's a serious one. And they try to handle everything they can. All of a sudden they come to Mr. Busk with real hot ones. And then you come in and you establish order. I've seen it and time and again. I, you know, with, well, I appreciate that it is, um, you know, I, I have experience, you know, in the program. I, I came as a teacher to the program and, and teaching is my career. I love it. Um, this is my 17th, 17th year of teaching and, and I should be good at it by now or I should not be doing From it. a guy man. that still doesn't know what he wants to do when he grows up, <laughs> 17 years at anything is so impressive. Well, That's why I wanted to talk to you, honestly. Like no. you become a professional and you're good at it. You're passionate about it. Um, you see yourself doing it into the future. And for a guy like me that has so many different irons in the fire, so many different things I want to accomplish, like doing one thing, doing it well and, and, and liking the thing is, is 
It's really interesting to me. It's really interesting to me. At some point, you became a professional at it. And I'm not sure if you started off at it or if that's something you don't even feel like you are there yet. How do you? It is. Um, I, it, teaching is sort of like it's teachers make only second to doctors the number of decisions during their day. You know, does Johnny get reset? You know, like does who needs the spelling test? I mean, they're making decisions at all times. And, and I make decisions to help shape that for the teachers to make the structure of the program. I, I was a, an awkward teacher in the beginning. I was, um, I struggled. I taught sixth grade and, and, and I really wondered, was I getting into the right Well, that's profession? a good grade to teach if you're awkward. They're oh, awkward too. Oh so. man, it was crazy. They, <laughs> you know, they, I, I explained sixth grade, like they come in wearing Hello Kitty and they leave wearing pleather. It's just, it's, it, it's the transformation of that year, you know, like they turn from this elementary kid to this middle school student. And you're just like, oh my, I'm, I'm watching this transformation before my eyes. And, uh, you know, and now it's parent teacher conferences and the parents are like, uh, how's Susie doing? <laughs> so, so, um, those kids, they put me through the fire. And, um, ever since then, I've just been really, you know, I've been really, are we not recording? No. We're recording here. Um, so, okay. It's, um, but I've just, uh, ever since that time, uh, it is education working with kids is constantly new. Um, we have 22 training programs this year. We're in number six. That means we have we have 22 first days of school, and um, and that means different clientele, different composition of kids, and all of their little nuances that they're bringing, and um, where they are in their lives, and it's awesome. I mean, I think that's what keeps it fresh for me. Do I go home and I'm exhausted? Absolutely. You know, like sometimes it's just hard to make my own decisions. Should I have ramen or ice cream for dinner? You know, like, and so sometimes I have both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, so, yeah, so, ice cream and the ramen. Yeah. Pull it down. Yep, exactly. Um, but it, it's always new. And, and working with young people is, um, it's always refreshing. Is it frustrating sometimes? Sometimes, but I've kind of moved past that in my in my career. Um, I don't really get angry with them. Um, you know, sometimes I really, really am wanting them to make the right decision as far as you know to try these new things, to just step out of their comfort zone just a little bit. Because from what I've seen, the when they do that everything is so much better. They make friends. All of a sudden their training comes alive and they're like, this isn't so bad. I like to weld. Or sometimes it's, I don't really like to weld. Can I join small engines? And that's equally important too, because we're not making experts with our program. We are, we're inspiring students to attend training where they're going to get the, the expert training that they need. We are trying to build those soft skills for education. Why show up to work in the first place? Uh, why show up on time? Why it's important not to have your cell phone on all times during the night. 
getting a good night's sleep, how to fill out a job application. I guess that's a hard skill, but you know, yeah. all well, of those there's, things. There's interesting dynamics here at NACTEC because you're not just dealing with some of those soft skills and all educators are having difficulty dealing with the technology issues now. Yeah. You know, people, kids are getting cell phones and they're breaking them out in class. And so you're having to figure out which fights you're going to fight and which fights you're going to just let slide. Um, but that being said, we live in a really interesting place where for a lot of kids, it's their first time. They actually come away from home. They don't go home at night. They, they come in from villages and they they uh, experience a very different culture here at the NACTEC house. And we try not to make that a splash of water. We try that to make that, you know, a, just be a, a nice blanket. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is a different blanket than they're used to. Indeed. And, um, so I'm curious about some of the considerations that you take into account. Um, when you're dealing with some of our kiddos that are coming from, um, you know, they're dealing with a double culture shock. It's not just an organizational culture shock, but it's going away from home for the very first time. Um, they're going to a program where they're already out of their comfort zone, and then you're trying to teach a very new skill with different kids that they haven't been around. And how do you deal with? I mean, there's so many layers of that lack of comfortability. Absolutely, we. Um, this machine of NACTEC, um, and I just, I, it's hard for me to, to equate it any, it's very organic, but it, it's like a machine. There's so many moving parts. Some parts drive other parts. And, and um, what we're trying to do is make sure every, this, this whole mechanism is working smoothly. It all starts, I believe, with just being friendly with kids, um, setting up clear expectations, but being nice to them. And Personally, I'm very Which goofy. sounds so rudimentary, but I, you'd be surprised. I know. Like, well, Because I've worked with a lot of teachers. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, out here at NACTIC, I, you know, I don't have many criticisms. You know, mm -hmm. but, um, just in my experience, I've worked at um, uh, schools for troubled youth. That's basically been where I've come from. Mm -hmm. and, um, literally. Anyway, because I was a troubled youth at one point. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's how I got into it. Anyway, um, but I look at some of the staff that I've worked with over the years. And they just don't offer genuine courtesy to the kids. And there's a, and that's where you, your approach is really unique. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it because you actually, you have really firm boundaries. You're super nice. You live what you're preaching. You're not just saying, hey, you should be nice. Like all of us know we should be nice. And then when it comes to crunch time, we're just a jerk. Like you actually are nice. Even when a lot of other people may be a jerk in the same situation. Um, how do you keep your eyes on the ball like that? Because I think a lot of people lose sight of what they're really trying to accomplish in the stressful moments. And when a kid mouths off for the 10th time and you've had it and you just need the kid to shut up and so they don't get in the way of all the other kids that are trying to learn, how do you keep your eyes on the ball? What do you do? Well, I think for, for in working with kids, uh, what I've learned is, um, and this is going to sound a little weird, um, it's like holding water in your hands. Um, you can't hold, you can't squeeze, you can't hold water in a fist. You have to have an open hand. They have to want it, and you have to be open to them coming to you when they're ready. And some kids, they're not ready in the 12 days that we have them. And unfortunately, we fail those kids. I mean, I, we can only help kids who are here. And so in the very condensed time frame that we have, I can't, we can't, we don't have time to punish kids. 
we don't have time to, um, you know, really correct their, uh, uh, a whole upbringing of wherever they are. And not to say that it's wrong or anything, but the, you know, the, the workplace and the culture is going to demand certain things. They may not know those expectations. What I've learned is I get nothing from, from being hard-nosed with kids. Um, being firm with them and giving them firm expectations is necessary, but there's a fine balance, and I walk it every day, and I think our staff does as well, about you have to maintain that friendliness, that cordiality of saying please and thank you and holding doors for them and joking around and just genuinely being kind. I mean, sure, I could, I could harp on kids for forgetting their swimming stuff and just saying, you know, like shaking my finger and saying, you should have remembered this is a job expectation. But at the same time, that's going to distance that kid from me. And I have such a short time that really I need to pull them in. So all the good stuff we have, we can then hopefully sell to them and say, this is important. And so um, my, my personal philosophy as a teacher is, hey, you know, like, I'm going to get further by being kind, by kindness, rather than um, just just blanking, you know, blankly following the rules and being super rigid. Um, being militaristic just would be very challenging, and I don't think we'd get as far. Some students respond to that, but that's not our program, and that's not my style. So. Got to do got to do what works for you. No, 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 absolutely, yeah. and that's such something that I think you, as an organization, have done very well. You've figured out what your wheelhouse is, and now you're hitting it. You're 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 swinging at the pitch that you can hit, and you're just not trying to hit every single pitch that comes down the pipe. Like you're, um, you become very clear about how you do your job, what you're trying to do here, and what you're not trying to do, and and you're focused on that. Um, there have been some crazy curveballs along the way. Like I've I've been in and out, you know, because I'm I'm again mm -hmm. we don't know what Ian wants to do when he grows up. Still, so <laughs> me I'm, neither. Me neither. So I'm, so I'm still figuring it out. Well, I, and I want to talk to you about some of the other things. Like yeah. I made it sound like you're only a teacher and you're not. Like you have so many different things going on. Like if I could be somebody else that is content at a nine to five. Well, and also that's another thing. Like you've. This isn't a true nine to five. NACTEC is a very dynamic organization and the way that you actually work your shifts, it's not a typical teaching job. No, we have people span 24 hours a day pretty much. Um, you know, we have our instructional staff is on from 7.30 in the morning till roughly midnight. And um, and so we, we really do bridge the full instructional day. Our kids are busy from whenever they wake up in the morning till 1030 when it's lights out. And that's that's actually what we've found is really good for students is it's the downtime where they're not sure what to do with themselves and they'll find something to do. And it's usually not <laughs> what you want them to be doing. And uh, we've learned this. Which and that, that doesn't apply to adults at all, right? <laughs> indeed, like, indeed. Thank goodness for adults. We yeah, occupy they, all of our time. Yeah, you're so so productively and and uh, and positively in your yeah. own life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah me too. Um, but it is, it is, um, yeah. It's a it's a unique environment. I mean, you're in a high school, junior high, middle school environment. You're used to like fifty minute classes, 
hear the bell, have a five minute passing period, move to the next class, switch your brain to, from math to science to English to social studies to PE, yay PE, oh lunchtime. You know, our day is goes without bells, without any transition periods except for the ones we make. So kids are in what we call their core class for four hours, you know, like shield metal arc welding, four hours a day. The beauty of that and will and our in our setting is that we can make projects. We can like you can now you can get started, you know, and 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 have something rather than, hey, let's get started. Okay, now class is over. Clean up. You know, I mean, 50 minutes goes by so fast when you're welding. And especially, yeah, when, yeah. You, when you're doing fabrication, because I've, I've worked with you guys, you know, mm -hmm. in the shop. And Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you and I know both know it takes a while to get stuff done. And like cutting a piece of metal, that takes a period. Mm -hmm. And then setting up the welder can take a period if you're working at 50 minutes. But four hours, <laughs> and that's more reflective of real life. Yeah. And real life, it, things take time to set up. And then once you set up, usually you keep on finishing a project until it's done and then you break down mm -hmm. and so there's that kind of artificial 50 minute period that isn't really reflective of what real life is all about indeed indeed and and so we are we're really trying to replicate what what real life is going to feel like and in the meantime also put in other stuff like survival swimming i mean every kid that comes through here lives on a water body whether it's a river or the ocean um, within this Bering Strait region. And many are commercial fishermen. And, and so, I mean, it's really important that they learn these survival techniques. Um, I mean, at this point, I think I've taught thousands of kids how to swim. If it saves one life, it's all worth it, man. Well, which is amazing. And it's, it's cool just to know, as someone who, who's developed a bunch of different skills that I've employed <laughs> in lots <laughs> of different settings. Like swimming is, I'm a fish and mm -hmm. I couldn't even imagine going on the water without having that ability to know, chuck me in any body of water anywhere and I'll stay, I'll stay afloat for the longest possible time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not brain science. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of kids go on the water without even knowing how to swim. And, and we do not live in like a nice recreational destination for swimming. I'm, like the yeah. water at the hottest part. I'm, I mean, thank goodness for climate change because all of a sudden we're we're tipping above fifty degrees in the summertime <laughs> in the Norton Sound. That's how balmy our water gets. Right? You know more about the water in this region than most people. You no, know? well, I, I yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I have I have like twelve hundred hours underwater now. That's yeah, amazing. Underwater, that, that's and then on the water, you know, another whatever. Yeah, but. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I keep track of, you know, the different kinds That's of water, amazing. water temps and stuff. But wow. that being said, like in the middle of summertime, when we do that, like Bering Sea plunge or mm -hmm. whatever that thing is called. Yes. Um, that temperature is usually mid forties yeah. when we go in that mm -hmm. and everybody runs in and runs out and we're like, Ugh. well, <laughs> that's uh, swimming to our kids, you know? No, I know. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't go in this water out here for as much time as I do until I have a seven mil wetsuit I'm basically until basically I'm a seal and mm -hmm. I'm pumping hot water down into that wetsuit and it's continually pumping hot. And if it's not hot enough, I actually dial it in. So it's hot enough. <laughs> so I'm, I'm such a little pissy princess when I go in this water. And I remember one day, but you know, diving in the Bering Sea, diving yeah. for gold is like hardcore. And all of us guys that do it, we're like we're hardcore. And we have this like, you know, the, we pat ourselves on the back about it. But I remember coming in one day after a long shift, feeling like such a tough dude. 
And I came in and there were these little native kids in their skivvies just playing in the, on the beach there. And they'd been out there for hours and I wouldn't go near that without a wetsuit <laughs> yeah. on. And there's these little kids just yeah, frolicking. Just and, loving it. And that's the beach for them. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. You know? But a lot of the, those kids don't know how to swim and you've taught thousands of them to swim. Well, and, and I have to say also, um, you know, with, with Sharon Keeney, who taught me how to teach swimming, amazing instructor, awesome. Amber Oten, I mean, um, my, our student teacher now, uh, teacher in training, she is a phenomenal and she's great at teaching swimming. And it's just, it's a really one of those high points, really bright in our program. And the kids move from there. And they go to American Red Cross, where Miss Oden, um, Amber Oden, is teaching that, and that's phenomenal as well. So they're, I mean, they're getting out of this program empowered, learning how to swim, getting their Alaska Food Workers Card, uh, getting their American Red Cross um, first aid um, CPR AED card. They can get their driver's permit, driver's license. I mean, they're just all of these things which are like, whoa, I didn't know I could do this. I can do that too. Let's do that too. And so at the, by the, the begin, from the beginning to the end, these students are like, they're like, wow, I have just assembled like this whole quiver of tools that I can go out in life. And these are practical things. I can put these to use. Mm -hmm. These are skills. And um, employers feel the same way. So it's just, it's really empowering for me to see that when I was teaching middle school math it was down the road that I got to see that, you know, like, and I, I enjoyed teaching that too, but I really enjoy teaching the career and technical education because I guess because I'm impatient when it comes down to it. I love seeing the results. I love seeing the projects that the kids are making and I love seeing the empowerment. Every student that comes through, it is a, it's like a time-lapse video. 24 is the record thus far of high schools, you know, one student going through 24 programs, the student, that student couldn't speak to other people the first time he came through. Now this student goes on, he goes on field trips to Texas. I mean, he is, he's got his driver's license. He, he is, he's an empowered young man. And, and I love seeing that. And that's, yeah, that's the difference. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And, uh, what I was going to say earlier, I've, I've, I've had snapshots myself of your program, mm -hmm. like you're within the program, but I've been kind of doing my thing and coming back and working with you part time and then doing my thing and coming back. And I've had a lot of different roles. You know, I've been a presenter. I've been a teacher. I've been a yeah. driver's ed instructor. I've been Swiss a house army. <laughs> you, you Swiss yeah, yeah. army knife, man. You've yeah, done everything. Well, yeah. And it's, it's been cool because I've seen um, all of your staff operating in very different settings, you know, mm -hmm. and what happens over in dorm. And just trying to like make sure the whole place doesn't burn down is different than what we're trying to do over. That's an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody does a good job over there, but um, you know, at night when kids just want to get their wiggles out, and it's going to turn into like a kid, you know, not being able to stay awake during class, and you have to like make sure kids are falling asleep. That's a different dynamic than over here in the in school. It is. Yeah. Anyway, you you your staff has a lot of different things going on, and all of you work as a team what what are some of the considerations that you have um working as a team like that what are some of the things that you found are trouble spots as a as a staff trying to make sure you're all moving forward in one direction i think i think working with the staff as well teaching has tends to be an abyss 
of, of effort. And what I mean by that is that you can just keep putting in effort, 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 time. And there's just, there's no, there's no bottom. It, I mean, kids need a lot. Programs need a lot. Schools need a lot. And, and so the way I have approached it, and I think it really helped me coming as from an instructor's point of view, is to try to make it sustainable for the staff. And so by we all communicate very effectively. As a staff, we, are, I think, are very clear in our mission that we're here for kids. This is, kids are what's important in our program. Without kids, we have no program, we have no jobs. And, and not that that's the, the, um, the end all be all, it is, that's where our, the rubber hits the road in our program. So, um, and so it's, it's really important for all of us to know that, um, hey, having clear expectations, not being the nicest instructor, you don't wanna be the person who's saying yes to all kids because all of a sudden it's, you know, like, but, you know, Mr. Busk says you can do it, you know, like. <laughs> no, no, I've, learned, I've learned a trick for that. Yeah. You just always say, ask Mr. Busk. Yeah, you just, just defer, just defer. <laughs> I, and then you know what I do? I rarely, I I rarely say yes. I, I know, I just defer to, I, I, well, if kids, kids are experts at that, they will ask and they'll be like, hey, can we go to the movies tonight? To me, and I'm on usually during the day. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I never answer a question for Carrie Sargent. She's the boss at night and you know this, <laughs> but they'll do this ask mom, ask dad stuff, yeah, you know, all the time. Yeah. They're, they're amazing little manipulators. They're great. And, uh, and so it's, um, it's, it's really important for us to do, to be on the same page. And we do, we have some structures that we do. We have daily reports, everybody writes one, um, you know, and it's, it's not a work report, like, you know, started at 8 a.m., blah, blah, blah. It's how was, you know, was it, were there successes? Were there failures during the day? Is there anything that's gonna like set this kid off? Don't ask him. Like sometimes we get students and, and it's like, they will have a fit if they get touched. I mean, like no, we had that situation we, happen last week. Yeah, you know, obviously we don't talk about names, but we had a student that was just really, really, really struggling. And yeah, it seemed like both I and uh, my teaching partner, we weren't we weren't able to connect with this student. Mm -hmm. and, and no matter what we did, I mean, we tried everything. We tried more energy, less energy, <laughs> more involvement, less involvement. I mean, it, it basically it just took a week. Mm -hmm. It took. Four, four days of just trying everything and yeah. then we finally made a breakthrough we had a night we realized hey there's some special considerations here and then we moved forward but that took some uh, communication between yeah. all of us and it took I mean I, I remember reading the email chain there were at least five te teachers mm -hmm. including myself that were very aware of that specific situation and trying different things trying to assist I, yeah, I think that that, you know, that point is excellent because not only does that keep us on the same page, but then it allows us to really work with a student at all hours. So it follows them through the day and also follows them into the evening. And it, it really, rather than this minefield that I can either walk in when I'm getting students up and taking them swimming in the morning if something happened the previous night, or the vice, the, the vice versa is that, you know, our evening staff is now walking into a minefield that they had no idea was set, was tripped mm -hmm. during the day. And it really does help us um, just do good things for kids because they'll find out 
that, oh, how did you know that? You know, like they, they know that we talk and, um, and that one, you know, that it will continue um, that communication. So we are all on the same page and we can celebrate the successes and that we can also address some of the issues that, that do happen. And again, we don't have time to punish kids. It's not like I'm gonna say to Carrie Sargent in the evening, this kid needs to be punished, don't let him go shopping. Rarely do we do that kind of stuff. Um, but you have, but you do have to have boundaries. And that was do. one thing I wanted to circle around, just because I saw it on your face, I saw exactly like how you interact with kids. And you can you can say you can have very clear boundaries. No, you can't use the vending machine or whatever it is. And you, then you crack a joke, and the kids understand that you're being very firm, but you're also being very loving. And so it's it's a really interesting approach of establishing accountability and boundaries. And because right now we we live in a society that doesn't really know how to speak the truth, except in like shouting or in terms that are like, if you speak your boundary to me, then it means that. Oh, maybe you're not you're not being nice or something, but hmm. um, but I think we all need to understand. Everyone has to establish the boundaries, um, and when you actually state your boundary, it's a weird energy that I get from you. It's it's a great energy. It's a pleasant energy. It's it's nice. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you could tell me like, Ian, I'm going to need the keys to your car because I need your truck, and. It would be like, okay, but you'd be smiling about it and I would just give you my keys because like the way you I come across is Man, so Man, I appreciate that. I, I really do. I believe in, in our program and, and just working with young people. Young people are experts at asking, why? Why do I have to do this? You should always be able to explain why and it should be a good reason. Nothing in our program is set up for the for the simply for the the ease because of our so. staff you know for the because exact, i said so because either. i said so you know um it is if a student asks us why we're doing something or why this process is here why the bathrooms are locked downstairs i can i can answer that with full honesty and i can say well the bathrooms are locked because bad things were done in them you know kids were smoking cigarettes it ended up that the locks were put on and now we know who's in the restrooms and we can monitor. And um, it, for the same reason, why do we clean the, the NACTEC house? Well, because it's a respect issue because the students who are coming after you deserve the same respect you got. And you know, like all of these things, these procedures, these processes, and the way we deal with each other and work with each other should also be, at, you should be able to answer that. You know, why are we doing this? We're doing this for you. So you can get more out of this. And I think students do get that. Why don't you get to be on the, the uh, go, go to the vending machine? The reason why is because some kids brought money to class. It creates an unequal situation. And that's why I stand in front of the, the vending machine, do jumping jacks. So kids can't buy money <laughs> or I'll press the coin return. And the kid who put in the dollar now gets four quarters and I get to make a joke about it. You know? dude, I was down in Eugene, I bought, a, I bought a water in the vending machine mm -hmm. and all I had was a 20. <laughs> <laughs> I got hit the jackpot. It's like, ka -ching, ka -ching, ka -ching, ka -ching. 
Gucci was like eighteen dollars and silver dollars. That's they are. awesome. That's like, like the Seco Jawa dollars or something. Yeah. I gotta now. I gotta do laundry. No. Laundry somewhere. Yep. Uh, uh, you remember that one time? Um, I don't know if you were there. I think I called you maybe afterward. We dealt with an exorcism. Do you remember that situation? I do remember that situation. Is that something yes. we can even talk about? Um, we can. I mean, we can certainly talk about that. It's we just can't say student names. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I don't remember the name yeah. anyway. So yeah, confidentiality. Absolutely. Is oh yeah. Sure. So there was a student that had um, a history of. Um, how do you want to describe that? I would say just kind of emotional. Um, emotional outbursts, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think that'd be a kind of a, a kind way to say it. And, and, and again, it goes back to, we work with students of, of wherever they are in their lives. And, and, um, sometimes there are, there are childhood traumas, you know, and, and they homesickness, um, either emotional um, challenges, uh, relationship challenges, they manifest themselves in many different ways. So I'm, I'm so thankful you kind of dialed it in because I kind of set up the story with like a joke and, mm -hmm. and it's not. I mean, at the time I remember understanding like this is so out of my job description. Dealing with we wrote that in later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I.e. exorcisms. Yeah. So um, a kid, you know, the perfect storm of situations, you know, social pressures and, you know, whatever trauma this, this student had experienced, um, all of a sudden created a scenario where they weren't responsive as to their name. And they, they created a scenario where they would only respond to this this other character's name that was in in their body. Mm -hmm. And um, and the other kid, I, I heard about it from the other kids. All of a sudden there was, you know, that that noise you get in places when something weird is happening. Yeah. Um, it's an energy in the air and mm -hmm. there's kind of like a, it's either a silence or more noise, but sometimes you can just kind of sense it. You can feel that something's going on. And so that happened right as these kids were like, hey, you need to come help. And, um, and so I ended up in the room and and there was this, it was like something out of a movie. There was this student um, on the bed, stiff as a board, but kind of shaking, almost like having a, a seizure. And so I thought it was a seizure. I have an uncle that's had seizures. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, just, you know, get everything out of the way and make sure you don't get in the way of a limb that can swing all of a sudden and knock you out because it's like all the force of the body is pent up in that arm. <clears throat> so I just kind of let it happen. And then, um, but then it was apparent that it wasn't actually a seizure. Um, it was something else going on. So I started engaging with this student and the student wouldn't respond to their name. They would only respond. And so I, I was like, well, even if it isn't real, um, the only way I'm getting a response right now is this other name that they're going by. And so, well, let's see. And there isn't really a manual for that. No, there isn't a lot for <laughs> so, this. <laughs> so, you, you know, because I Googled it at the time and I couldn't find anything about it, handle it. And <laughs> That's amazing. On a Google? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Google has something for everything. Well, this was years ago. 
so a lot of the forums now on like how to handle exorcisms, they're probably more populated now, but at the time there just wasn't any information on that. Dang. Like any DYI spirit, the like step by step, yeah. step one. <laughs> yeah. Ask.com. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to think of whatever that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so it, it was crazy. And I remember being, you know, of two mind, minds. At the time, I, I remember one side thinking this is crazy, and on the other side thinking, "Well, what if, but it's this is happening and it's real. And the only time you're getting anything back is when you know you're talking." And I wasn't I wasn't in a position. I, I didn't have my phone on me. I wasn't in a position to to make anything happen right then. And and I was afraid if I left the room, something would be crazy. And so you know, I, I just engaged. And what was interesting about it, though, and what made it so crazy, I shouldn't use that word. I should say what made it so remarkable, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, this student's body was was the exertion that this student demonstrated over the course of, it probably took an hour, hour and a half, this whole intervention that happened. And the exertion of flexing your muscles stiff for an hour to an hour and a half and shaking and then, you know, taking a quick break and then shaking again and just being stiff the entire time. I can't imagine what that took. I mean, the, and that's where, you know, the power of the mind and, and the power of trauma to, of, of the emotion of the experience to physically affect us. That's what's fascinating to me about it. And not just to be a sociologist about it, but that whole, process of this student you know clenching for probably at least an hour is just mind-boggling to me that the the power of this student's trauma had created a scenario where her body could react in such a crazy uh physiological way it's that mind mind body interaction you know what your what your mind will tell you um your your body will will start to develop whatever it is, whether it's you know joy or or um, the flight or fight you know um, reactions you know like it is it is interesting and um, and <laughs> that's that's par for the course, man. <laughs> I so mean, slowly, yeah. slowly we coax this, this student's spirit back to yes. their body. Yeah, and so that was that was a win. Mm -hmm. And then I had to write a report about it. And then, uh, do you remember reading the report? I, oh yeah. Well, we, I mean, it how'd was, that go over? I, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, uh, you know, it was one of the more notable reports. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was, I, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, I mean, it is, it is just one of those, it's just one of those things. Yes. That student, kind of manifested those those physical and emotional reactions um i think and i think um one of our staff brian marvin actually says it quite well uh, he says you know when the students are here within our program they show a different side to us because they feel safe this is a place where they won't get made fun of where they know they'll be accepted the next day, you know, for who they are. And sometimes that 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 involves tears, you know, like um, 
they are comfortable to cry. And we're talking both male and female. And they, they, will, they will open that side of them and, um, and be accepted and then grow from it and then move on with their training, their, their uh, life skills, their interaction with others. And um, it's a different form of communication for them. So, you know, whether or not this, um, this exorcism or uh, this event happened, that may have been very cathartic for the student. It probably wasn't for you <laughs> or, or me the next day. But <coughs> well, I wasn't s stiff as a board, but yeah. I, it was exhausting. Yes. I've, there have only been, I mean, I've been in social work for a long time. There have mm -hmm. only been a handful of times where I was using 110% of my laser focus for mm -hmm. that long with with as much as as clumsy as my powers are sometimes i was using all of my power mm -hmm. you know within that time frame just to navigate a very complicated situation yeah and some people might not have seen it nearly as complicated but oh i know it it, it, it is i mean that's that can that can either um you know set off a student or or what you did is calm them down you know i mean you basically diffuse the situation and that's awesome. I mean, that's that shows I, a lot I diffused, of skill. I diffused a spirit bomb. <laughs> you, indeed, you did. Cut the red wire. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very oh. nice. Um, so you obviously have uh, very clear principles. Um, you have a lot going on too. You're not just a teacher. What else do you have going on in your life? Like in the summer times, I know you have a your family has a camp. Yeah, so I, I grew up in a gold mining camp um, north of Nome here, and um, it was um, my my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, and then um, and no other men, and then <laughs> and then five five of us in the same generation, and right. we um, we were um, you know we would mine my uh, my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, and then. Basically, all of us, we got really comfortable moving a lot of rocks and pipe and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there was always something to do. I think of actually a gold mine or family farm is really important and most more people should have them. So, you know, like there's a lot of buckets of dirt to be moved and shoveling. And I think I actually left a message trying to get a job like that one time. Like, hey, my name's Kevin. Saw you had this landscaping job. I'm really good with a shovel. Call me back, please. <laughs> the guy called me back. I got the job. It's like I've never heard an, an introduction like that at all. Um, but yes. I, You're like, but seriously, yeah, hell. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, um, but it was a great way to grow up. Uh, you know, like no phones, no electricity, no running water, you know. Ooh, and wait, wait, wait. How did you have fun then? Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> oh, there was never a dull moment, you know, like. Anyways, we you would didn't just look, gaze at the landscape. That's something like Alaska is bounteous. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And I love it. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of something, you're not looking at the landscape. I mean, there are certain moments you're like, oh, this is pretty. And then you get back to work. What are you what were you doing besides looking at the landscape to occupy your time? Oh, man. Well, I mean, there was I mean, there's no grocery store, of course. So we would get our groceries once a year. And um, and it would be brought in on a caterpillar tractor and sled, you know, off the barge. And then um, my my uncles who uh, mine downriver, they have an, an aircraft, and um, and they would generously bring a mail up upriver for us and stuff like that. How often? 
Uh, we would get mail every two weeks, but uh, probably not in the springtime because springtime rivers are uh, running with overflow. You can't get anywhere. You're landlocked. And so that's when you do a lot of projects. That's when you fix the roof on all of the cabins. We grew up in like a World War II Quonset hut, surplus Quonset hut. So um, was it out there when you started mining or did you did you take it out there? It was out there when um, when my family, well, when I, when I was born, um, it was brought over from a place called Davidis, Davidson's Landing, which is over by Mary's Igloo. And it, there was a station there for the U.S. Army. And um, and at the end of the war effort, they were like, what do we do with this stuff? So they, they just sold it all, sold um, Caterpillar tractors, the Quonset huts. So those were dragged all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I can remember them being in three different places. Um, and then eventually, we're, we still use them. They're, they're at our current um, camp called Trinity. And, and um, named but, after the, the character from The Matrix, right? Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's actually the, right next to the Trinity Creek, which is the tributary right next to us. So, and there's, we grew up, grew up, most of them are named after the creeks. So there's Brandy Camp, Mascot. There's no Mascot River. So I totally lied there, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but there, point, yeah, somewhere. but there, every, um, you know, you grew up, I grew up very intimate with a very small area that I'm familiar with. And everything has a name. Um, most of the river bends used to have structures. And we knew the stories of the people who lived there. You could, I mean, there's Jimmy Keelaher, Corrigan's, um, KCP Camp, Morris's. I mean, and these are just, I mean, I'm visually going through all of these bends in the river where I used to play as a kid. And I would look through all of their trash dumps. I'd find, I got like stacks of bottles and old stuff and, you know, I, just treasures, you know, like I thought. And I look at them today and I'm like, wow, these are cool. You know, like I love, yeah. I love looking through them. And I just, I love the history because everything that um, was, everything that was brought in was brought in by either um, horse and cart or horse and sleigh in the early days. I mean, just the monumental physical effort. We have it easy. You know, we have ATVs. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, the machinery that we have. When and, I talk, when I think about the mining that I do <clears throat> and have done and, and the respect that people give me for having made that a profession. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard for me to even take any of that because I see with these guys. I mean, you can go in the middle of nowhere and you can find this big dredge yeah. or, or, you know, a bucket line or a, a big camp. And all of those guys. Please call the office, Jim. <laughs> all right, Jim. Um, and it's amazing the effort that those guys had to do. And now most of that was taken in in the wintertime. It's impassable in the summertime, a lot of those places. Absolutely. Yeah, the tundra is really hard on you know horse hooves and things like that. But we find, I mean, we find like the winter. Uh, like I have some winter um, horse hooves, not hooves, um, horseshoes. You know, like at my house here in Nome, and I'm not just like, this is this is evidence of how this stuff got here. D- built in Seattle, disassembled in Seattle, barged up here. You know, brought piecemeal out hundreds. You know, over a hundred miles out to this. You know, out to our area reassembled i mean we're talking incredible manpower and just the fortitude it took to do that you know like in in our whole region i mean mm -hmm. there's 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 miles and miles and miles of irrigation ditches most of them were dug by one dude he was just a contractor that organized the labor and he dug 
I, I can't remember the number. It was well over 100 miles of ditches. Mm -hmm. And we're talking of, you know, you see them. They're perfectly yep. sloped along. It's, they, it's they follow the contours of the hill. And mm -hmm. There's multiple ditches along the same hill some, in some places. When you think about all that happening 100 years ago, that's nuts. It's it nuts is. to think about it's, over 100 years ago. It, but you know what? Even in um, contemporary times, like my mom, my uncle, they walked the ditch when they were young. That was their chore because they were using ditch water to mine, hydraulic mining when they were younger. And so um, that my the story of that is that my mom really loves the sound of the rain on the tin roof. My uncle hates it <laughs> because the um, that was the sound of it doesn't matter what time you got you get up because if that ditch washes out, they're really hard to repair. So it was it was the sound of you're waking up and you're walking that ditch in the rain with a shovel, 3 a.m. with the mosquitoes. <laughs> you know, so you think about that and and um, you know and I, I have it very easy. You know, like ATVs, all that kind of stuff. My my mom, my my uncles, my my grandmother um, has has since passed, but the stories that they told, you know, of my grandmother's honeymoon was in a Wanigan prospecting on the Seward Peninsula with cat and sled. You know, like that's that was her honeymoon. So they got married in Teller, got into like a caterpillar with a blade, you know, tractor pulling a cabin behind. And then they toured around the Seward Peninsula and then eventually settled on the Kugrok River. And, um, you know, it was just pretty incredible what, you know, what, what happened. And, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of it and, um, and to take part in that process. And that's one thing that I do. Take a long story to your, your simple, like, what do you do? Um, you know, I could talk for hours about it. I just, I love it. Oh, I love amazing. being out there. That's and amazing. and um, it's just, it's a phenomenal way to live. And it's very simple. You know, you get out there and you're amazing. Like, my phone gets turned off. I turn it back on for three months and you know, like after three months, I'm, <laughs> I don't even, I'm sorry, everybody, I did not contact you, <laughs> but, but it's, it's incredible to get out there to detach. And there's, there's a tremendous amount to do, as you said, you know, like, what did you do for fun? It's incredible what you do when you don't have any electricity and you're, you're trying to find stuff and reuse old parts and all of that. Uh, yeah. It's no, just I, awesome. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I do, mm -hmm. you know, with mining and I mm -hmm. love that. Something, so I'm, I'm new here, you know, 10 years and I, I still feel like I'm fairly new, but one thing that struck me when I first got up to Nome 10 years ago was, um, how connected you feel like you are to people and, um, and also to the land. I loved, I love having something require me to keep track of what the, the earth was doing. You know, I, I had to monitor the weather three, four or five times a day just to yeah. figure out what was going on with the water, any sort of shifts, any three or four hour window I could I could take to go make money mining. And because um, things, you know, sometimes you'll get a window and you can take advantage of it. And that also affects like how you're going to anchor your boat and things like that. Um, but what you're talking about is also a connectedness to the land. There's also a connectedness with people. The some of the kids made a made a joke over the week. They they imitated um, someone's grandfather, like asking him. He says, "He said, who's your mom and dad?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. they said it like that, and then one of them answered, "Oh, I'm your cousin, <laughs> or I'm your uncle." 
And it's interesting. There, there's an interesting thing that I've noticed that up here, um, Native Alaskans, they ask, um, they introduce themselves by saying um, where they're from and who their mom and dad are. And then as I've been in meetings where this happens, they, you know, different uh, people around the meeting, they nod like, oh, okay, I know that person. I know where they're from. Mm -hmm. And as you're talking about your story, I get the same kind of sense because you have, you know, multi-generations are from here. Multi-generations have experienced land and have that connection with the land and not just with the land, but the connectedness that you, your people has with being here with a place. And, um, and that's interesting. I think a lot of people don't experience that. They don't know what that's like because there's, it's, it's very simple and it's a connectedness in a way that a lot of people with our, I mean, cell phones are about connectivity, but the connectedness you're talking about is very different. I think it, in many ways, I think it is, it does, it connects, it's a connection with people um, where I think there's some, there's a rapport that's built um, that, that's an extension of yourself, that your, that your family name, that your family connections are important. And, and, um, and it's not to say that folks that are new in, in this region, um, you know, don't, can't do that. It is simply that it is, um, and I try not to, you know, introduce myself as, um, as, as either my mother or my grandmother who taught and teller. And, um, but I, I do, you know, with students from teller, I have that connection. You know, I can tell them, hey, my grandfather, my grandmother taught in Teller. My family lived in Teller. And um, and what it does for me is I think it gives me a rapport with students and a, and a connectedness that they're like, oh, OK, this guy, this guy lives here. I think it's the same for you, though, because you're respective of the land, your respect of the environment and and your role within it that you you know, you do mine, you know, natural resources here. You do so responsibly. You make your living off the land here. And I think that's a big thing that kids can connect with because they are hunting and gathering. They are subsistence. They realize that their lives are tied to the land, as is yours, as is mine. And, um, and I can talk bird hunting with kids and instant connection. They're like, how many birds you get? And when I tell them I only got one goose, they have something to make fun of me about. You know, like, I mean, it's immediate and it's like, what? You only got one? And, like, and then I have to explain how I'm a bad shot and how it was windy the day. No, when, no, it's, yeah. it's funny. Like, well, and it's interesting. A lot of the dialogue that's happened nationally, you know, about guns and things. And, mm -hmm. and I've had to, I've. I've had kids ask me on birds and and I'm like, no. And I can instantly see their eyes glaze over. Their disdain. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a great opportunity to talk rapport. Yeah. And a lot of these kids are providing for food for their families. Oh, man. And yeah. I've, I've gone out there and I've seen the meat that is available, mm -hmm. how much it costs. And it's it's crap and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And so they're at, when they actually go out to hunt, they're providing for their family. And sometimes they're providing for elderly in their community for other kids that don't have that opportunity to have a, a man in the house or, or a lot of women are hunters now too. And anyway, um, there's just a different dynamic up here when it comes to that because mm -hmm. it's just part of the culture and part of taking care of yourself and taking care of your people.
I, I would agree. And I think it's also, it is that connection, that connection with not only just the land, but also the transformation of the land through the seasons. It provides many different things, you know, like in the, it, you know, as we're, we're coming into fall here and it's just on the edge of winter, you know, we've just passed bird season and my really lousy hunting skills are now in, in the past. I could now go on with my lousy crabbing skills, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's all this preparation of now the winter is going to be, you know, the opportunity to travel, you know, because many people can't afford to get on Bering Air or Raven, our air carriers in this region, their transportation is snow machine. And so once that snow falls and it sticks, now the people of Shishmaref can actually go to Serpentine Hot Springs and they can hunt caribou, or they can get to Brevik Mission and visit family. Same thing with, with Teller and Brevik. There's a, there's a, a real connection, you know, not only by, by water there, but, but it's much cheaper now by snow machine, you know, like they can go, shop at a different store, come to, you know, come to Nome. So it's a, it's a real transformation in, in the seasons and, and also in their gathering too. You know, now they can get, get out on the ice. There's Tom Cotting, there's, you know, going into um, Emerald Basin for uh, pike or char or whatever. And so I think there's this, this, just this connection which ebbs and flows throughout the seasons, much like, you know, probably in the summer you enjoy you know, the gold mining rather than the winter through the ice, you know, I mean, (laughs) you know, absolutely. Well, well, even then I've, I've, I've witnessed, you know, I spent a lot of time underwater, you know, I've I've tried to get out there as soon as the ice is broken and Mm -hmm. I've been out there as ice is forming, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and I've dove under the ice and you see different things at different times of year. I've, I've harvested crab with my bare hands. That's awesome. That's (laughs) That's cool. You know, and like, I remember coming up, um, at the end of, the fall one year and, and I stepped on something squishy and there's nothing squishy down there. It's all rock where we're diving. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, what was that? You know, and I looked down and there's this little crab <laughs> as quick as it can. And so, and I'm slow too, yeah. but it, it's actually not as very quick. Yes. Crab are not very quick. They're just kind of clumsy and mm-hmm. I'm clumsy. So it was like that Austin Powers movie, like, no, <laughs> anyway, but I grabbed it and then, um, the weather was picking up. And so I had to, you know, grab it by the bum. That's mm-hmm. how you grab it oh, grab yeah. safely. Yep. Yep. Safe crab handling skills. <laughs> and then I, I had to one hand, you know, ladder up like a monkey up the hose yep. you know, to get to the surface. Cause I was in like 20, 25 feet of water. And then I had to do something with it once I got there. And so I had to like elevate and put the crab on deck and then the crab starts to scurry off. I have to take my weight belt off and find a bucket for it real quick. And, and I can't, awesome, I can't stop. I mean, we were, we were making three, $400 an hour at the point at that yeah. point. So, I mean, there's no crab that's worth, you know, going back down and working for another half hour. So that's like the best crab story ever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all sorts of crazy problems. That being said, like you, you see different, um, different kinds of, there's, there's a couple of times a year where you see just incredible uh, schools of jellyfish you mm-hmm. know, and they come in with different currents and, um, there's a lot of different things that happen. Anyway, that also, it's a hard to understand how impassable the tundra is in the summertime. Even if you have a four wheeler, uh, you hit bogs that are just miles across and they're, they're ugly. I've been stuck in the tundra in a storm before and it's awful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, so the wintertime just opens up this massive highway mm-hmm. everywhere. And so even though the conditions are much harsher in some ways from 
from like a transportation standpoint. It's for, and if you have a snow machine, it's just one big highway. It does. And even in snowshoes, if you have proper snowshoes, wintertime you can cover a lot more ground than you can in the tundra. Yep. I, oh, surely, so much faster and hauling much more. You know that, and and it's no wonder that that um, you know that that the freight hauling during those pioneering days of um, of mining it was all done in the winter. I mean, you just it's almost impassable. Mm-hmm. Like you say, the bogs and you know um, all rivers, and it's just it becomes just this monumental effort, and it does a lot more damage. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still see um, just you know the the trails that were made during that those times and um and today like side by sides out on the tundra man after hunting season it's just black you know like yeah. tundra yeah. is not very resilient it takes time and and um it's just one of those things you know heavy machines over wet tundra it just you know it just tears it up so yeah, yeah. yeah. let me ask you a question this this came up <clears throat> i'm leveling houses now that's one of the things that i'm doing oh cool and so I had a house that I leveled this year. Our houses are on stilts, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put blocks on the on the ground, and then we put big foundation beams on top of those blocks, and then we build a house on top of that. That's for you know this, but yeah, our our lower forty eight and friends they're they're yeah. not aware. Of you do what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stilts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the so the so the foundation you can actually level it mm-hmm. because of permafrost. Yep. Uh, so climate change is making it so um, our ground is acting really screwy nowadays. The permafrost is warming up, and so the the ground is sinking and bucking more than it has in the past. I leveled a house, and then within three weeks, the door wouldn't close already. And so I leveled it. I, I shimmied the door up, and then it still shifted a, a bunch. It shifted two inches in the course of a, a little over a month. Wow. So wow. yeah, and that That's was on established pads. Yeah. That was I didn't. That wasn't on a new pad. Sometimes new pads will sink. Sure, you know. Sure, they'll but just yeah, settle. this was established pads, good lumber. Yeah, like the thing sunk two inches. How are you incorporating climate change into the educational process here at NACTEC? I think well, it, I think it's part of. It's in all of our minds, you know, and and it is a balance between you know resource development, um, you know, with with either mining, whether it's um, you know our fishing industry, um, utilizing what we have, and we are we have abundant resources around here. How to do that in such a way that it is um, it's responsible, it's a balance because we are surrounded, and and also Nome is sixty percent um, Native Alaskan or Alaskan Native as well. Um, how to how to use these resources that we have responsibly um, and and teaching the students that they have a role I mean whether they like it or not they are going to be making these hard decisions as as this progresses and so having them develop these skills of communication of making presentations of talking with their peer group and asking adults questions and during interviews and things like that um, that is it's very it's vital it's vital because they're going to be the ones who are going to be making these decisions. Now, I guess on a smaller scale, in our in our coursework, you know, we do deal with it with or or teach to that in our um, residential carpentry sessions, our NCC or NCCER construction core, which is our building trainings and things like that. Um, you know, insulation, 
you know, um, how to how to build effectively and efficiently. We also talk about, um, you know, how to about the overcrowding that's in our region. And basically what we're trying to do is empower empower our young people that they can be a positive agent in their own communities, whether that's that they know how to do construction um, or they can assist with it um, because overcrowding is a real, it's a reality in our communities. You know, you have, you know, three generations living in one house, a two bedroom. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. So um, whether or not we're dealing with that adequately with climate change, um, it is, it is definitely in, in some of our planning. So, yeah. 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 Cool. And that was kind of a loaded question. Thanks for, thanks for addressing that. No worries. I, I hope I addressed it a little bit. We're probably not doing as much as we could. Well, um, the whole, no, nobody in the world, I mean, especially right now, politically, we were kind of doing, steering away from it, but it, it's, uh, I think the conversation is, we have to engage, everybody has to engage in the conversation, you know, and, and we've talked about like, global warming and some of the reasons for it. Um, you know, some of that, I mean, this, this, the climate is changing. It's, it, there's no doubt about it. And whether that's all our fault or not, I don't think we lose anything by um, being respectful of the resources of the planet and being mindful of those and trying to eliminate unnecessary waste. That's not a problem. Although for Americans, when we think about like, Having more efficient cars, like oh, I'll do what I want to do. <laughs> Absolutely, and put bigger tires on it. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you mean, small tires? Why would I want that kind of city truck? Exactly. Uh, that being said, like, uh, and there's a mindset for that. I mean, American ingenuity and just sheer guts and you know gumption is is brought the whole world along for a good ride. Like we've enjoyed a lot from that tenacity. Um, I think we're at a point. When it comes to climate change, though, I mean, I've I've seen that. That was I, I've seen the ice break later in in or earlier in and set up later every single year. Um, there's some very quantifiable things. I landed on the sea ice runway out in Diomede in 2011, and I think 2012 was the last time they had ice thick enough to do that. So that's you know six years ago was the last time a plane landed on sea ice out of Diomede. Um, and we're seeing that from a mining perspective, it's great because the ice is, is thinner, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. when I dove under the ice, we, we had to choose specific places that were thinner because mm -hmm. some of the places were six, seven feet thick. And it's just, you waste all wow. your time just yeah. cutting a hole in the ice. Absolutely. You know, you don't even mine. Sure. So we would specifically find places that were two or three feet thick. But, um, you know, with that house leveling thing was the most stark reality check for me. And, uh, and for me, when I hear that, when I see like there's some major things happening and on the polls, they say the climate, the effects of climate change are going to be exacerbated. So what's happening in Antarctica, which we can't see, but I'm reading a lot about and then what's, what's happening in our neck of the woods. Those are very important things. I, I agree. And, and I think it's important to talk about like we should not avoid these subjects. Is it potentially uncomfortable? Yes. Is it a heated subject? Yes. We're talking about our food. We're talking about this, this, this region's culture dependent on primarily so many things that come out of the sea. Are we talking about seals? 
yeah, we are. We're talking about walrus. We're talking about whales because those are, I mean, we're talking about a whole ecosystem which is being affected. And it is really important for us to talk about these things and have a dialogue about them because ultimately they're going to, it's going to affect our lives, all of our lives. And, um, and it, it's necessary for us. I mean, and, and, and to go back to your question, we could certainly do more of that. And I think one thing we do is, is assist students with how to effectively communicate in a forum where you can disagree and you can, um, but you can come back and you can stay centralized on one subject. Um, whether or not we're coming from two different complete ends that we're both still talking about the subject and um, we can come away from it just still disagreeing, but we've discussed it. We have introduced our ideas. I have listened to you. You have listened to me. And, um, and I think that that, that empowerment to our, our young people is really important. And um, Well, that's so, how we move forward anyway. I mean, that's, exactly. how, and that's how adults have conversations. Yep. Well, that, that's how they're supposed to anyway. <laughs> that's how adults teach <laughs> children to have conversations, right? Sometimes we can learn from students. Though, you know, like, <laughs> okay. you know, sometimes, sometimes you watch it, you know, like, I saw this on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you had to condense... Um, your philosophy for treating other people, um, how would you describe it? What are the, the key components for how you treat people, not just students? Oh man, if I had to condense it, I would just say, um, catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. I used to hate that saying when I was a kid and my mom would say that and it just make me mad. Now I, I find myself saying those things and they are just, they are, it's just true, you know? And I don't get anything from being mean to people. Um, I might get my way, but that person goes away feeling worse about themselves, about the whole situation. And so, um, you know, I find that, hey, being kind to people makes me feel better. Maybe that's a selfish decision, but it makes me feel better. I think it leaves the person feel better. They may feel like, dude, that guy's an idiot, you know, or, or just because that guy's so nice, it must be fake. And really, that's out of my control. You know, they can believe whatever they want to about me. But um, for me, it, I sleep good at night. I like, you know, I like, I like my life. It's really boring for most people. You know, I just, I'm real busy. I, I like my work. And, and, but I really enjoy, you know, like I, I have a really content feeling, you know, even when I miss birds when I'm hunting, you know, like, <laughs> which is often. So, but I really, I enjoy what I do. I feel very fortunate. I feel grateful for, for my life. And I, and I, I don't want to take that from anybody else too. You know, like I don't want to make them feel worse about their lives. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, I've, yeah, I just feel lucky and um, and I don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I, can I'm you, sorry. That's like no, I, you're, I was, you're okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Uh, can you catch flies with vinegar? You know what? 
I should do a set up a social experiment. <laughs> <laughs> you were wrong, mom. Yeah, I know. Vinegar is actually better for yeah, class. Ex- ex- maybe it is. Maybe and it maybe, is. maybe I'm totally wrong. But um, I don't know if the vinegar, it's not viscous enough to catch the flies. You know? I mean, yeah, really. Yeah, maybe the they honey. get all vinegar crunk. Like, they, they love the... They love the taste. Maybe it's intoxicating to them. Yeah, yeah, you get a bunch of Maybe like this kombucha or something. (laughs) (laughs) Kombucha for flies. Well, hopefully it's not like a superpower thing. Indeed. We already have mosquitoes are big enough. Indeed. That was a a very long philosophy. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. be nice to people. Yeah, have fun. Um, I think we're good, man. Uh, Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me or anything else that you'd like to touch on that we you'd like to clarify or finish up with anything you know I, hey I'm, I'm just curious you know what's what's next for Ian Foster what are you gonna be doing man this whole like I'm hey I'm 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 gonna know what I want to do when I grow up yeah what's growing up to you what does that mean does that mean you're doing something for a long time or no I had a, I had an interesting realization over the last couple of years I just finally realized I'm an artist it was a really interesting realization and, and a lot of things just clicked into place when mm-hmm. I made that realization. And, um, and I'm glad I've approached my art that way in that um, I've learned a bunch of functional things, you know, instead of just like ethereal ideas and, you know, possibilities. Cool. But um, I've spent the last, you know, my, most of my adult life learning functional things. And all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a remodel and I know how to do everything. And I don't know when that happened, but now all of a sudden I can do, I can tile, I can, I can do plumbing i can do electrical i can do all sorts of things although don't tell anybody that i'm doing those exactly well you'll get so many phone calls hey ian knows how to do that <laughs> yeah. yeah and leveling houses and stuff anyway that being said though um i've got a bunch of creative projects lined up cool so i've got a couple of book projects i've got a bunch of songs uh me and my music partner scott we've been writing songs together for about three years last year we've focused we've locked ourselves in rooms for days at a time and and we produce two three songs a day when we do that so we have uh, an albums and a half worth of material and um we're actually going to get in the recording studio this fall and share our music with people congratulations man i've got a music video of a funny christmas song that i that I made a couple of years ago, so we're going to try to make that go viral and uh, travel around. Very cool. Sites. Very cool. So, yeah. Well, you've worked hard, and and I I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. You've done so many different things, and you've you've you you always approach it in such a positive manner. You know, like I've seen you exhausted. You know, like you've worked the day shift somewhere, and now you're working the night shift. You know, and and um, by the power of caffeine, I shall compel myself to do <laughs> yeah. this. You know, and one one of the or, things, or as I call it, liquid courage. Liquid courage, <laughs> and I have, um, you know, I have learned in in my adult life, it caffeine only works as a sleep replacement for so long, and then That's it, true. then it's going to then come you have back. to switch to meth. <laughs> but Just kidding, kids. Just yeah, kidding, kids. yeah, yeah. Drug free since that's right. Nice. <laughs> 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 Caffeine's a drug, though. It's, 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 no, no, no. Yeah, world. it's not a vitamin. World, it's a vitamin. It's a vitamin. It's a supplement. All right, all right. It's a supplement. <laughs> ah, I see. I that treat it as a medication. Yes, I'm on pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical grade caffeine these days. I gotcha. I gotcha. Self medicated. Um. <laughs> no, well, 
my girlfriend is a doctor and she is the one that uh, showed it to often me. makes the coffee <laughs> <laughs> well you know to, to, to go back you've done a lot of really interesting things so you, the music that you produce the book that you produce they're gonna have a lot of life in it I know and that's awesome and so you know like I think your your journey I think is a good testament to a life well lived and you continue to live it and it's going to be continued to develop and um, whether or not you're, you're doing something for 16 years, I think you're already doing it. This is you, man. This is you, yeah. your kumbaya, man. This is I, your journey, <laughs> and this is your career, and that's great. And it's going to yeah. transform. Well, thank you. And um, and there's a lot of different, you know, levels and directions to it. And I just somewhere in the last couple of years, I just realized like stop trying to define it and just mm -hmm. go with it and follow the energy and as much as I don't like I'm uncomfortable with that word a little bit but it describes something that's that has power behind it and it's something that is real like there's a there's certain things that we're motivated to do and certain things that we're not and certain things that we fight ourselves our natural inclinations to to accomplish sometimes you have to make those sacrifices but generally speaking if you follow the things you're excited about you're going to live a good life and you're going to help other people live a good life too because who wants to movie goop that was the Iron John word. You know, I couldn't remember what their yeah, actual yeah, yeah. name was. Yeah, Moopy Goo. Moopy Goo. Those are, <laughs> yeah. you mean those are my my smoothies that I drink? Those are yeah. Moopy Goo. Waka. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> anyway, um, as, as we follow, you know, that energy and that, um, uh, the things that we're excited about, those are the things that are going to be the best results for the people around us, period. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what your situation is, married, single, kids, no kids, wherever you're at, ge geographically, professionally, you follow, you know, what you're excited to follow and the thing that feels like a challenge for you, it's going to lead to good results for everybody around you. And so that's what, that's essentially what I'm trying to do. I appreciate your words. You're Thank very you. You're welcome, man. I appreciate yours and it's always a pleasure working with you. So you too, brother. Yeah. I hope this podcast goes viral. <laughs> Kumbaya, man. That's right. Kumbaya. That's right. You're the man. Thanks, Kevin. You're very welcome.